Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. our Rethink series, <clears throat> and we've been going through this series since January, so we're about halfway through. It's June now. We're going to take a break in the summer. We're going into a different series because the reality is in the summer, like, half of you guys are going to be here a quarter of the time, and you're going to be on vacation. You're going to be the like, yeah, I see you not in your head. You're like, yeah, I'm gone. Uh, <laughs> you're going to be... You're going to be at the cottage, you're going to be in and out, whatever. Uh, so we're going into a different series, uh, which is really cool. It's, it's geared evangelistically. It's geared to equip you with tools for evangelism. It's called 101, and it's going to take us through some of the basics of the faith. And you're like, oh, I've heard that stuff. There's, there's going to be a, a very different um, on, take on some of these things because we're gearing it uh, evangelistically to to equip you with the tools to reach out to people. So, um, yeah, that'll go through two months in the summer, and then we'll hit, hit up Rethink again in September. Let me point you guys to these quotes as we're going through the series at the halfway point. We're talking about rights today, and I don't know if you guys have noticed the quotes on these signs. They all have different quotes. This one is by a guy named Dallas Willard, who, if you haven't read uh, anything by Dallas Willard, he's huge into spiritual formation Hearing God. He has a book called Hearing God. He has a book uh, that Adam, Daniel, and I are reading right now called The Divine Conspiracy. If you haven't read that book, it will change your life. Uh, both those books will. Um, Hearing God is a lot more digestible. Divine Conspiracy is a lot more dense. Um, but he says here, this one sign of maturity are the thoughts that no longer occur to you. I just like let that sink in. One sign of maturity are the thoughts that no longer occur to you. And that's what the whole, that's what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to um, help us rethink all these topics that we've gone through. Sex, marriage, commitment, family, discipleship, evangelism, freedom last week, rights this week. And Simone Weil, I don't know if you guys know who she is, um, but she has this quote. She says, real genius is nothing else but the supernatural virtue of humility and the domain of thought. Okay, so we're trying to help us rethink things, but we can't forget humility is a major part of that. We can't, we can't divorce our thought life from a life of humility. And I love how she points that out. So there's, I don't know, three, four, five other banners with different quotes on them. Check them out, read them, all those things, they're, they're on there. Um, <clears throat> but they all inform this series for us. They all inform how we're moving forward and trying to... Uh, rethink certain things. Because if you've been in church, you may have grown up thinking a certain way about something and never really assessed it for yourself. And that's the purpose of this series. And if you haven't grown up in church, all this may be new to you, and we're trying to help you think biblically about these things. So last week, Adam spoke on freedom, and the last verse in this is verse 13 in chapter 8. And Paul is saying, this is what his freedom is like. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never, he says, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. 
So he's willing to give up something that he is due, I guess, that he inherently can have. He's willing to give it up and then just be released into freedom for the sake of his brother. And in that passage, there's a stronger brother or sister, and there's a weaker brother or sister, and he's, this is in the context of the church where he's talking about Christians here. He's talking about those who have decided that they're going to follow Jesus, and there's a stronger or more mature believer, and there's a weaker or less mature believer, someone who's growing in their faith. And he says, if I'm going to make the, the weaker believer struggle or stumble, I'm willing to give up whatever I need to do. And that's informing all of chapter 9. So we're going to walk through all of chapter 9 today. Uh, we had Elizabeth just read the last portion of chapter 9 because it's 27 verses. But, not, but we're going to go through all those verses today, um, kind of quick, and, and talk about what those mean. But Paul goes from talking to the church and in the context of the church to something a little broader, those outside of the church as well. And like I said, we're talking about rights today. And here's the thing. In Western culture, in, in uh, Canada, we're, we're about our rights. We're not, as, we're not as crazy as those Americans about their rights, right? I mean, come on. Um, they're all about individual rights. But still, here in the West, we, we like rights. <clears throat> so I'm actually American, so I'm one of those crazy people on, on rights. And, um, but now I live in Canada, so I'm not so much. Uh, when I was in, I graduated high school in 1998. Some of you guys are like doing the math right now. How old does that make him? 1998. I'll be 37 this year. So just, to, just so you can focus on my illustration, that's how old I am. Um, so 1998, graduated high school. Some of you guys are like, I wasn't even born then. Or I was like one. Uh, so 1998, graduated high school. The big, uh, the big thing that you, I don't know if they still do this in high schools, but we voted on a graduation song. Okay, I don't know, do they still do that? And do you have a graduation, like a class song? No? Maybe that's an American thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, so in America, they do this. It's kind of lame, I know. Um, and there are choices. <clears throat> and our class voted for, you got to fight for your right to party. You guys know this song? This is Beastie Boys, like, back in the day. You got to fight for your right to party. We were like, yeah, that's us. That represents our class. Well, the administration said no. That's a rebellious song. It does not, it should not represent your class. It does not represent our school well. Your school, and they picked our school song for us. They said, your school song is going to be, My Heart Will Go On <laughs> by Celine Dion. Titanic came out at the end of 1997, won all these Oscars in 98. They're like, this is the best thing. <laughs> We're going to give you a Canadian song, <laughs> a song by a Canadian called My Heart Will Go On. And like, that's so lame, right? We had Fight for Your Right to Party versus My Heart Will Go On. But when you think about these songs, the administration, they valued what the song talked about. What, what scene in the movie of Titanic do you think about when you hear that song. I thought about two scenes. Yes, I see someone doing that already. I'm flying. That's, yeah, that's, that's one scene. You hear it played in the background. The other scene is where, where Jack sacrifices himself to, yeah, I heard the groan. Yeah, I know. 
I got chills right now, right? Like, <laughs> Jack sacrifices himself to save Rose, and you hear the song playing. So this song embodies like freedom and, and self-sacrifice, things like that. And they said that's way better than you fighting for your right to party. And, <laughs> and, <clears throat> and so the thing is, for a lot of us as Christians, if we had a song mantra, it wouldn't be my heart will go on. For a lot of us in life, we're like that, but even for us as followers of Jesus, we would still say, I'm fighting for my rights here. I'm fighting for, and, and more specifically, you're fighting for your right to party. You don't wanna give up that old life. You don't wanna give those things to Jesus. You like your old life. Jesus says the darkness is actually comforting to us. We don't wanna be in the light. And we're just still over here fighting for those rights. And Paul's, Paul's given us example in chapter nine to show us it's way better not to fight for them. So he starts off by saying, am I not free in verse one? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? This is a question for us. Have you, as a follower of Jesus, have you not encountered Jesus your Lord? Paul, and Paul visibly, physically, he saw Jesus, right, on the road to Damascus. He sees Jesus. But for us, you know, we've encountered Christ. And he's saying, and, and so that's a question for you. Have you not encountered Christ? Remember, you're free. And he's building this case to have us relinquish our rights. And Paul uses a specific example throughout this entire chapter. And it's, um, it's him relinquishing his right to receive uh, money from the church. Now, don't get caught up in that and whether we should pay pastors or not. You should pay pastors. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, don't get caught up in that. This is specific to Paul. This is, specific, this is a specific example that he's using to illustrate a larger picture here. And the reality for Paul was he didn't take anything from the Corinthian church in terms of money. But we see in the scriptures he did this with other churches. The church in Philippi, they gave him money for ministry so that, to support him. And so he's not, uh, a lot of people when they preach this passage, they say, you know, there's, there's those who, who do this for money and those who don't. His, you'll see his argument through this is, no, the church should provide for the ministers. This is actually the right, he says. This is their right. He says, but, and he makes the case so compelling that when he says, eventually he'll say, and guess what? I'm putting that right aside for your sake. And that's why it's so, so huge because this was a right that Paul was supposed to have. But he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? And so he, he's establishing his case for being an apostle of Christ to show them that they have this right. And then in verse three, he says, this is my defense to those who, to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? And what's implied there, like if you were to put brackets there and imply something, Paul is saying, do, not, do we not have the right to eat and drink uh, at the expense of the church, is what he's saying. That's, that's what's implied there in the original language. So do we not have the right to eat and drink um, for, at the expense of the church? And this is actually um, a, a double negative construction in the original language. And in English, double negatives do what? They cancel each other out, right? But in, the, in Greek, they intensify each other. So basically, he's, he's basically saying, surely we have this right. Like, it's... It, there's no question about it. 
Uh, we have it. He says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? And as we know, in the previous chapters, Paul also relinquished that right. And he said, no, I'm not going to be married. I'm going to be devoted to the Lord for the sake of the gospel. So he's relinquished a couple rights here already. And then he gives examples. He says, the brothers of the Lord do this. Cephas, who is Peter, uh, does this. And then verse 6, he says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And he gives three examples. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? And these are actually very emphatic in, in the Greek. So he's, he's basically saying, has anyone ever heard of a soldier serving at his own expense? Like, that's ridiculous, he's saying. Who plants a vineyard? Or he, he would say, who has ever heard of someone planting a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? And who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So he has a soldier, he has a farmer, and he has a shepherd. And those are all, like, they're not random examples, right? I mean, if you think about it, these are, these are um, it's good imagery for what a minister does what what um, a pastor does it's it's he's saying we're in war like this is war we're we're soldiers in a war and he says we're doing hard labor we've got to plant we've got to well we've got to till the ground first we've got to sow we have to reap um and then a shepherd sometimes we think of shepherds and we think oh those those pictures from the renaissance of jesus like painting or petting a baby sheep uh, but like shepherds, this is hard work. This is corralling all these sheep. This is being on the countryside and dirty and filthy all the time and um, getting sheep that go astray. We see Jesus use this example in the Gospels. So, so Paul is saying, <clears throat> saying here that a soldier doesn't serve at his own expense. A shepherd doesn't do this. He, he drinks some of the milk. Um, and a farmer eats some of the crop. So he's building his case here. We see him building this case for the right that he's about to say to the Corinthians, I'm relinquishing for your sake, on your behalf. And I, I skipped over this earlier, but the bottom line of this whole sermon that I want you to get, and I always do this, this is, if you don't remember anything else from today, like this is what I want you to remember. That a life concentrated on rights leads to a life consumed by regrets. A life concentrated on your individual rights is only going to lead to you being consumed by regrets. Okay, and we'll tease that out through the sermon. So he's building the case for rights here. Uh, verse 8. He says, do I say these things on human authority? And how that's constructed in the Greek is an emphatic no. There's one word in the Greek when you put it before a sentence. It means that the answer to that question is going to be No. So he's, this is emphatic here where he says, do I say these things on human authority? No. Like, we know the answer to that already is no. And then he says, doesn't the law say the same thing? He gives this example from the law of Moses, which would be the first five books of um, the Bible. And he says, you should not muzzle an ox while it treads that, when it treads out the grain. And I love what he does here. He says, is, it, is God concerned is his, his concern about the ox, or is it about us? He's given this example for us. You know, you have the ox treading out, stomping out the grain, and he's going to eat as he works. He's replenishing his, his energy, right? And he says, no, this is for our sake. Verse 10, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. We're going to come back to that later. 
Uh, but remember that, of sharing the crop. This isn't an individual thing. So for us in particular here in Canada, we're, we're very individualistic. That's why people move to a city of 2.5 million and they say, I'm lonely. Because we're all about ourselves. We're all, we're all individualistic. But Paul is saying, no, 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 the, the church is different here. We're, we're sharing the crop. Verse 11 if we have sown spiritual things, so if we have planted spiritual things among you, is it not too much if we reap material things from you? Paul's saying we have sown eternity into your hearts. And now you'd withhold from us things that are perishable? Now you're going to withhold and, and hold tightly on things that are just material and physical, when we have sown eternity into your very souls? He's saying, you guys value material things way too much. We've given you eternity. We've given you things that do not fade. We've given you things that are forever and everlasting, and you're, you're content with things that are fading and ephemeral. And he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. And that's because he's saying, we've ministered to you. We're the ones who brought you this message. Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, he says. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So if you think of this passage as you approach the door and you're about to step into a room, verse 12 is when you step into the room. We just built it up. We, uh, he showed us the entire house, the entire whatever, building, room, whatever, and then we just, this is the hinge. We just stepped into uh, something that he's going to now show us, but we stepped into the room now. We were kind of outside of it before, and he says, we have not made use of this right, so he's doing the hinge here, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Just think about that for a second. Just process that. When he says endure, he means we suffer through. We persevere through. We put up with anything for the sake of the gospel. And now think about rights and regrets and what you endure and persevere through and what you don't. Because the, the thing here is the Corinthians, leading up to this passage, they kept on arguing that they have the right to choose. They're like, we have the right to choose. We're, we're free in Christ. And Paul isn't saying they don't have the right to choose. What he is saying is you also have the right not to choose. Just because it's your right doesn't mean you exercise it. He's saying you have the right to choose to exercise it and you have the right to lay it down for the sake of the gospel. But most of us, because it's our right, we would say, what's our right? No one can take this from me. Just try men mentioning gun control in America. <laughs> You'll see this to, to be the case. Um, 
Oh, no, no, it's all right. It's, it's written down. Like that's, so we exercise it. And Paul's saying in Christ, we actually have the freedom to pick up that right and to put it down. And he says, I'm going to put it down because I will endure anything for the sake of the gospel. I'll persevere through my own circumstances for the sake of the gospel. I'll suffer through loss, my personal loss, for your sake so that you would hear the gospel. I'll put up with anything that is against me for your sake. How many of you guys have that attitude for the gospel, for Jesus? Just think about the last week and what you got angry about, what you got upset over, what, uh, what ticked you off, what, um, you know, what happened, uh, what, what you complained about, what you grumbled about. Think about those things, and now think about this verse. Will you endure anything for the sake of the gospel, for somebody else to hear, for somebody else to grow in faith? Will you give up your right to eat meat so that your weaker brother or sister doesn't stumble? My Paul is building this entire case here. Or, instead of this verse being this way, Paul says we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Or for you, is it, I'll put an, an obstacle in the way of the gospel rather than endure anything. Is that flipped for you? That you'd rather see somebody stumble and fall and put an obstacle than endure anything on your personal behalf for the sake of somebody else. Think about, well, I won't go there yet. We'll stop there, let you process that, and let's keep on moving. That's such a powerful statement. That's why it's the hinge of this passage. And then he comes back in verse 13 and 14, he says, just to be clear, I have this right, he says again. Just to be clear, like, we put it down, but again, here's the bookend. I have this right, guys, just, just to make sure Paul is saying. And then verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die then have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, if you don't know Paul, if you just read this verse, you think, oh, he's arrogant, whatever. But you know, if you've read this entire letter, that his ground for boasting, he lays out in chapter one and two, and his ground for boasting is the cross of Jesus Christ, which is suffering. So his ground for boasting is the cross of Christ, and a symbol of suffering, yes, and a symbol of redemption, and resurrection. And he says, that's, that's, I would have no one deprive me of that. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul is saying, I, I'm in agony if I don't share the gospel. Does it hurt you not to share the gospel? And we think that we see here preach, and we think like the office of preaching, well, you're never gonna, you might say, well, I'm never gonna do this. But Paul here, we've, that's an institutional understanding of it. Paul is just saying, are you, sh- are you sharing the gospel with your life? Like, we're talking about ops- putting obstacles in, in the way here and um, sharing the gospel with your life and your words and your attitude and, and all those things. It's not necessarily the act of preaching here, okay? So he says, woe to me if I don't live for Jesus. 
is basically what he's saying. Woe to me if I don't do that. Woe to me if I don't share with my mouth and proclaim the gospel to people and live for Christ. He says, I'm in agony over it. He says, it pains me not to do that. Are you there in your faith yet? Are you there in your journey of, of faith with Jesus? I don't know if there's actually an in-between. It either pains you or it doesn't. I don't know if there's an, an in-between. You're either following Jesus or you're not following Jesus. And Paul is saying here, it's agony to me if I don't do that, if I don't live for Christ. For if I do this, verse 17, of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. We have been entrusted, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, with a treasure in jars of clay. We're stewards of this amazing good news, this amazing gospel. And Paul says, what are you doing with it? Stop focusing on your rights. You're just going to be consumed with regrets. He says, what then, in verse 18, is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This word for right is power, is uh, dominion, is authority to rule. And so when he says a right here, like, yes, you have, you've been entrusted a power. You've been entrusted on a certain amount of authority, a, a, um, um, a certain amount of dominion. Uh, to rule, and he says, that's over the gospel and giving it to others. And he says, and, uh, and so we would relinquish some of these rights that we have, he says, in order for, the, for people to see the gospel clearly. And then he says, this is what we should do. Verse 19, this is where Elizabeth picked up the, the passage before the sermon. He says, for though I am free from all, and Free is actually the very first word in the, in the original language here that starts this passage. So anything fronted in Greek is, is emphatic. So this passage is about your freedom. Okay, so keep that in mind. This, this passage is about what freedom in Christ is and what it looks like. He says, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. So in Paul's freedom... He submits himself to slavery. That's the less euphemistic uh, translation of this word here. He's in his, in his freedom, he submitted himself to slavery or servanthood. In order that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, then I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, remember the weaker brother and sister, I became weak, that I might win the weak. That's why he says, I gave up my right to eat meat for their sake, so, I could, so that I could, they could see the gospel clearly. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. You know, in the church, the word save has become kind of commonplace to us. You know, salvation, save, someone who gets saved, it's, it's just part of our lingo, it's part of our language. And, um, but, but this word, when you actually take time to focus on it, it it's, it's like if, if, 
if this isn't there, if the gospel isn't there, they're perishing without it. They're dying. There's, there's nothing else that's going to save them. This is what's going to save them. Um, so I have two daughters. I have a seven-year-old and an almost six-year-old. Um, she's five now. Uh, Emerson and Reagan. And um, in the States, you don't get a year mat leave. So Missy had three months mat leave, which is like unheard of almost. Um, and so she had three months, and I was I could work from home a couple days of the week and then work work outside the home a couple days a week. So a couple of days of the week, when we first had Emerson, our our oldest, um, I would watch her a couple days of the week. And um, Missy went to work after three months, so Emerson's between three and four months old. And my first time watching her at home alone, by myself, and uh, she had like, I don't I can't remember, like she had pooed all over herself or something, like babies do that. So I had to change her, and I'm in Emerson's room, and there's a crib and also a queen bed in her room. A queen bed, it's, it's, it's pretty big, right? And so I put Emerson in the middle of the queen bed. She's three to four months old, so if you know babies, at three to four months old, what do they do? They just lay there. They just lay. But I put pillows around her because I'm like, I ain't taking any chances, right? I'm not going to be one of those parents. So she's, she's around. And so, like, uh, say the bed is over here. Um, I'm right here at a dresser, and I'm getting her clothes out, and there's a mirror on the dresser. And I see movement in the mirror, like, out of my peripheral, and I look up, and guess what's happening? She's, roll, she's falling off the bed. Like, I don't know how she got there, but she's, like, falling off. I just dove. I, like, I dove like this and caught her right before she hit the ground. I may have smashed my face against the bed. I don't know what happened. All I remember is I caught her. And here's the thing. She didn't realize she was falling until I caught her. And that's when she started crying. This is a picture of Jesus saving us and of using us to save others. Most people have no idea they're falling until they get caught by Christ. And he uses us to do that. And Paul says, I don't care if I hit my face on the bed. I don't care if I break my ankle or if I get a bloody nose by doing it. All I care about is catching that person before they perish. That's the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus today, that's what happened for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus today and that happened for you, that's what Jesus wants you to do for others. As he empowers you to do it, as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador for Christ, as a servant of Christ, as Paul says. So when you think of that word save, think of it like that. Like you're actually being a part of saving someone's life for all of eternity. And Paul says, I'm gonna do anything in my power to make sure that some will be saved. You know, sometimes we miss so much because we're so focused on not sacrificing. We're so focused on our own individual rights. 
are you so focused on your own individual rights that you're missing the blessings of the body of Christ, of the community of faith? Are you so focused on your career that you have a lot of regrets in relationships? Are you so focused on your family relationships that you miss the family of God? And some of us are so focused on our own individual needs that we completely neglect the needs of others. And if we do that, you're gonna end up being consumed with regret on those decisions. And Jesus says that's not freedom. Paul says that's not freedom. This is what freedom is. He says, I do it all, verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Again, the word share. This word is a, a, just a fellowship. A, uh, it's from the word fellowship. It's fellowshipping with. He's like, we're sharing with, he says, this is life together. Are you gonna suffer? Yes. Do you have to sacrifice for the faith? Yes. But the beauty of the gospel is that it is made up for in the household of God, in the family of God, in the body of Christ with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So that your, your sacrifice, like, I even hesitate to call it that. That, that we do any sacrifice. Because when you, when you compare that to what Jesus did for us, it's, it's nothing, right? So I've been, uh, I mean, the scriptures use this term, but I'm like, I don't want to call what I do for the sake of the gospel a sacrifice. Because we should have the attitude that we'll do anything for, for the sake of others and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says here, in the last few verses, He says, and he gives three examples again. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. This word for self-control is, is uh, like temperance. Is, uh, and you think about temperance, it, there's some sacrifice involved in temperance, right? Um, Curtis and I, I just see Curtis here. Steve is there, yeah, Steve, Rev, Curtis, we, uh, Missy, we were in uh, Niagara this, this weekend and we ate at Braza, which is a Brazilian steakhouse. Has anyone been there? Brazilian steakhouse, yeah, yeah. How often do you go in with an attitude of temperance into an all-you-can-eat meat? place. <laughs> um, I was the only one that was, temp I was exercising temperance at the table. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is so awesome. Um, but most of us in life, we're like that. There's just so much out there. We're just like, yeah, just, just give it to me. And, and Paul is saying, every athlete actually exercises self-control. And why, why is that, you think? Why, why would an athlete need to exercise self-control? Simon and I talk about Tom Brady all the time. Um, he's like, he has a man crush on Tom Brady, I guess. Um, I, I, I'm not, I don't really like Tom Brady, but, um, but he doesn't put any sugar in his body, Tom Brady, right? Like, he's never eaten hamburger. He's, he doesn't eat processed sugars, right? 
Um, he doesn't even eat the strawberry, is that right? Like, this is Tom Brady, but guess what? He's going to play quarterback for the New England Patriots until uh, into his 40s. Uh, and he's still a Super, winning, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Um, and athletes know the value of this because they're going towards a prize. And he says, what's cra-, Paul says, what's crazy about this is they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Think about this back in, in the old, um, in, in old like, Greek and the Olympics and all that. Like they're just getting a, an, a leafy wreath that they put on their heads, a leafy crown. And he says, they do it and that's all they get. All they get is something that's going to fade in a couple days. And that's it. He says, but we do it for something that's imperishable. And he says, so actually, self-control, discipline, temperance, it's worth it for us. For them, he's like, I don't even see what the point is. But for us, we're doing for something that is not going to fade away, that is imperishable. So, therefore, because of this, verse 26, I don't run aimlessly. I don't run in circles. I don't run around uh, doing zigzags. He says, I run towards a goal. I don't box as one beating the air. Sometimes we think of uh, just shadow boxing here, but he's, he's also, he's talking about that, but also, like, if you're going to hit a target and you miss, like, you're, you just expended a bunch of energy, you left yourself exposed. He says, we don't do that either because we know the goal. We know where we're, what we're headed towards. And in verse 27, he says, but... I discipline my body. Now, this word, we think of discipline, and we think, oh, okay, you know, you, you try to eat healthy, and you try to, you know, do certain things. This word is actually, he's, he's saying, I'm pummeling my body. Like, I'm pummeling my body into shape. Um, now, don't read, like, asceticism into that, and if you have no idea what I'm, I just said, just for, strike that from your mental record, but if you do have an idea what I said, don't read that into this passage, Okay? That's not what he's talking about. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. And this is the reason. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And this word for preaching is, <clears throat> is uh, like the announcer at a race who calls the person to the blocks. And he says, I don't want to have a false start, he's saying. I don't want to disqualify myself, disqualify myself from running the race. Nothing to do with salvation. Again, don't read salvation into this passage either. He's just saying we can be disqualified from this ministry. He's like, I don't want that to happen. So I discipline my body. I keep it under control. I'm temperate. We're, we're, you know, we exercise self-control in all things. In our BLG this past Tuesday night, um, I asked a BLG a question to start off with. I said, what do you guys love about working out and what do you guys hate about working out? And some people said, well, they love, um, what did they say? <laughs> they love how it makes them feel. They love, you know, it, 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 it makes them feel healthy or confident or um, uh, other, other things. And then for what they hated about it, one person said, well, I hate that, that uh, I sweat. I hate that, um, <laughs> yeah. That wasn't me, by the way. I'm just, for the record, I didn't say that. It was somebody else. Um, uh, they say, I hate that I sweat. Uh, I hate the time commitment. I hate that, um, you know, it's, it's a discipline. You have to do it. And if, and if, you, if you almost, in a sense, 
uh, like if you stop doing it, it's hard to get back started, things like that. Um, and then we talked about this passage, we, in particular the, this passage we just went over the last few verses. And then I said, um, what's the Christian workout? Like, what does it mean for us to discipline our bodies as Christians and, and discipline ourselves? So we started talking about prayer and the word and fasting and giving and community and scripture um, meditation and memorization and um, evangelism and all these spiritual disciplines we started talking about. And then I said to them, what do you guys love and what do you hate about the Christian workout? And uh, like half the group was like, ooh, hate, I don't know. I don't want to, let's not use, let's not use that word. I don't know if that's, if we should use that. But does your life look like that? Where do you spend your life doing things as a follower of Jesus? Does it look like you do hate those things? When you look at where what consumes your time, does it look like you do hate reading the word because you're, you're so focused on your individual rights over here? Does it look like you don't want to spend time with God over here because you're doing something else over here? What does your life look like? Does it look like hate? Or does it look like you love those things? You can't wait to work out. You can't wait to discipline yourself. Here's the thing about working out. A lot of times, people have goals. They're like, I want to lose this much weight. I want to gain this much muscle, whatever it is. and, and they say, studies have done, that those aren't, those, that's not going to keep you working out. It will for a time, but what keeps you working out is the way it makes you feel. You feel more healthy, you feel more confident, you feel better about yourself, whatever it is. In the Christian workout, let's throw away all our goals. I'm going to read, my, I'm gonna read through my Bible this year. I'm going to... I'm going to pray five times a day or every hour. I'm going to um, uh, fast one day a week or one day a month. Let's, let's throw those things out for a second and let's focus on relationship and how it feels when we're with Jesus. And what I'm saying is that it's not all about feelings and experience. That's a huge part of it. Because when you open your Bible... That is a guaranteed place of encounter with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you pray, that's a guaranteed place of encounter with the Trinity. When you worship in a community, this is a guaranteed place of encounter with God. And if you're not encountering God in those things, because you might say, well, I read my Bible, nothing happens. That's not God's problem. That's your problem. That's on you. That's your sin. That's whatever's clouding your vision. That's not God. God is there waiting for you to encounter him. And if you're coming to the Bible, for instance, and you're saying, I don't hear God. Actually, maybe he doesn't want you to hear him right now. Maybe he just wants you to be with him right now. If you're coming to the Bible and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this, that's, that's something with you. Press in closer to the Spirit. Don't, don't go further away. We have the tendency to step back in a way, like, oh, this isn't working, Psh, my goals. Jesus says, 
or God says, the God the Father, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That's a promise in the scriptures. And Paul uses this, this imagery of running a race, of an, of an athlete, of being disciplined. And the writer of Hebrews picks this up in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he says, let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. He says, in order to do this, we have to sacrifice. We have to lay aside sin, the things that we love doing that replace God. We have to, we have to lay those things aside. But it's not just sin. He says, lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, anything that is stopping you from following Jesus. John Piper says this beautifully. He says, he says the lowest question that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can ask is, is it sin? You are created for way more than that. Your question should not be, is it sin? That's the lowest question. John Piper says, your question should be, does it help me run? Does it push me forward into holiness, into community? Does it help me understand the scriptures? Does it help me commune with the spirit? Does it help me in relationship? Does it help me stop complaining? Does it help me see the other's perspective? Does it help me sacrifice? Does it help me run forward towards the goal? That's the question we should be asking. This whole passage is couched in that question, is it beneficial for us? Not is it a sin, but does it benefit us in the sake of the gospel? Does it push us forward in seeing others come to Christ? That's the church. It's not about your rights. You'll live a life full of regrets if it is. It's not about your comforts. You'll live a life full of regrets if it is. It's about sacrifice. And it's only when we sacrifice that the world is gonna clearly see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the writer of Hebrews in verse two says, look who sacrificed for us. Look who laid down all his rights for us. It's Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There's joy set before us. Jesus wants you to see that this morning, that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's joy set before you. It was set before Jesus, and guess what? When he endured the cross, he became the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, meaning his work is done. He has overcome your sin. Jesus took care of that. So stop asking that question, God, should I do this? Is this a sin or not? And that's not your question. Your question is, Jesus, yes, you took care of that. Now show me how to run. Are you running this morning? Or are you just walking? Or are you hobbling in the faith this morning? That's not what Jesus wants for you. He came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the world says, hold on to your rights. Jesus says, sacrifice those for the sake of the kingdom and you'll find true life. 
and true freedom. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what's offered to you. And if you're a believer in here this morning, you get to show those who don't follow Jesus that that's what's offered to them. But you can't show them that if you're consumed with your individual rights and your regrets. Start pursuing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word, for the presence of your spirit who is here with us. I thank you that you ran for us. A marathon. And that you didn't give up. And that you chose to do this for us. For the joy that was set before you, Lord Jesus, you endured the cross. You gave up everything. You set aside heaven. You set aside everything for us. And so thank you for that. Thank you that we get to celebrate that today. Together in worship as a body of Christ, as we sing, as we engage the scriptures, as we take communion. And we pray your blessing over this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.